We just want you to be Johnny Godair today. Would you stand with me this morning? Lift your voice on high to the God that reigns and that rules. It is a distinct privilege and honor of ours in the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship to have a voice like Johnny Godair amongst us still. Bishop, we're asking you just to rear back, be yourself today and minister to our home missionaries. Let's love the Lord Jesus Christ and His place together. Bishop Johnny Godair, Durham, North Carolina, we love you. Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord, everyone. Remain standing for a moment, if you will. It's great to be here in this conference, the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship. Great to um, begin the services last night with a tremendous message from Brother Bass. Absolutely tremendous message. And I enjoyed and was challenged by it so much. And then to hear Brother Wilbanks this morning, what a blessing to hear this man. He said so many good things that we can take from this message and service home with us and apply them and make us better people. Thank you, Brother Wilbanks, for your preaching this morning. Amen. Thank you, Brother Erskine, for allowing me the privilege to speak to you today. And I could say a lot of things, and it would be true about Brother Ted Erskine. <clears throat> Great man of God, loves God, loves the truth, loves revival. <clears throat> Built a great church in Newport, North Carolina, starting with nothing. And now there's many acres, beautiful buildings, well-kept properties, and everything's just right there. I thank you, Brother Erskine. Thank you for being a leader among us. Amen. Let's give Brother Erskine a hand. Sister Erskine. Brother and Sister Erskine are great folks. And I love and appreciate them so much. So very much. Thank him for the good job he's doing with Home Missions, North American Missions. We appreciate it. All of his committee and workers, great men. Thank God for you. Good men of God that are helping lead us. It's a privilege to be here today. Thurston said I hadn't preached in a while, had a little physical problems, and only preached one time in the last seven weeks, so I don't have a lot stored up. I'll just have to kindly chug along here, but my son-in-law, Brother Rodney Betts, has been preaching for me the last few weeks, the last four or five weeks. While I was taking it easy, they baptized 20 in Jesus' name, and... Uh, <clears throat> and I've been 30, 30 something upper 30s that have received the gift of the Holy Ghost in the last five weeks. So I just, I've been enjoying it. Good to enjoy the presence of God, isn't it? How many love the Lord here this morning? God bless you. Great to be here. We have a lot of ministers here, and I thank God for you. Thank God for the ministry chair, pastors and your wives, evangelists and your wives, home missionaries that are here, such as one we just heard from uh, South Dakota. And so thank God for all of you. We have a number of folks from our, <clears throat> from our church in Durham here today. And um, these are great, great people. It is my privilege to serve as their pastor and um, thank God for you. My daughter and son-in-law is here, brother and sister Betts in Houston and Aubrey, and 
My main one's not here. Amen. Let's read from Luke 7. Luke chapter 7. When I say the main one, I'm talking about my sweetheart. She's not well, but she might be listening. I don't know. But if she does, she's the greatest person I know. Let me read. Don't want to get too sentimental, but I thank God for my wife. Luke chapter 7 and verse 1. Brother Wilbanks read from chapter 5, and I turned to Brother Erskine. I said, I wonder what chapter he's going to be in. I'm there mighty close. He said chapter 5. And so I felt a little safe there on Scripture. I was going to read chapter 7. And the Bible said when he had ended all his sayings, verse 1, in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. When he came, when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation. He hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus said, went with them. And when he was now not far from the house, then Terry and set friends to him, saying to him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I'm not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof, neither, wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I'm also a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say to one, go, and he goeth, and another come, and he cometh, and a servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turned him about, and said to the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. I want to preach for a while today. And I know some of you are probably getting a little hungry. And um, maybe we could wait for a while, but I'll try not to be lengthy. But from verse number five is the text that I felt that God laid on my heart when Brother Erskine asked me to preach and I was asking God to help me. Verse five, he loveth our nation and he hath built us a synagogue. Let me paraphrase that a little. Two things I want to talk about today. Number one, he loveth our nation. And number two, he hath built us a church. He loveth our nation, and he hath built us a church. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. Thank you for this service. Let the Holy Ghost touch me now and help me now. I need your help. Speak to me and through me. Let me be a voice for the Lord today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated in Jesus' name. We know that in the story of Luke chapter number 7, and I would not want to go any further. I would be remiss, remiss not to say thank you to the, the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship, the great men of God. I had the honor of serving for a while as chairman. And Brother Crawford Coon, one of the great, great, great men of God, followed me. And Brother Floyd Odom. And now Brother Nathaniel, Bishop Nathaniel Wilson. I thank God for these men. Amen. Let's give them a hand. Amen.
And after this service, Brother Larry Booker will be chairman. And following him on the list is Brother Kenny Godair, my brother. I thank God for you, brethren. God bless you. Everybody say amen. Now let me talk to you for a little while. We, uh, we read about a centurion servant that was sick. And um, the centurion had heard about Jesus. And when he heard about Jesus and the fame of Jesus had been spread abroad among them, he asked Jesus to come and heal his servant. And this is what they said to Jesus when they came to get him to come and, and um, heal the centurion's servant who was sick. They said to Jesus, number one, you've got to realize, Lord, I'm sure he already did, but you've got you to understand. Let, let, us, let us give you a little bit of information about this man. He's notable. He's a good man. He's an outstanding man. A lot of characteristics you could say about him. But they said of this centurion, they said, he is worthy. They said about the centurion, their friend, he is worthy of a miracle. But I want you to notice when Jesus came, the centurion said to him, just a couple of verses later, he said to the man, uh, said to Jesus, I, I am not worthy to come uh, to you. I'm, I, I'm not worthy. Notice the difference of the attitude of the friends of the centurion that was going to elevate him some and said he's worthy. They said he is worthy. The first thing the centurion said, Jesus, I want you to understand that I don't, I don't feel that way. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy that you'd even come under my roof. But if you would just speak in a word, if you just say it, I have confidence and assurance that everything would be all right if you just say it in a word. Amen. And uh, the Bible tells us here, this man said, I, I'm not worthy. That's good attitude. That's good spirit to have. I'm going to tell you, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I said a proud person will not stand long in the presence of God. We've got to understand that he is everything. And as he said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. We can't adequately serve the Lord without him. We can't build a church without him. We can't start home mission churches without him. We can't pastor churches without him. We can't evangelize without him. We cannot be effective without him. It's in him that we live and we move and we have our being, our help is from the Lord. Why don't you clap your hands with me and praise Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. So here we have a setting that is ripe for a miracle. And we know the story that Jesus came and He healed the centurion servant. So I'd like to focus on two things in this message today. Uh, the characteristics of this centurion. Number one, they said of him, he loveth our nation. Now that's a commendable thing. That's a great attribute to have. And uh, most of us here, maybe some are not, most of us here were born and raised in America. And I want to say I thank God for this country. Amen. 
I thank God for this nation. I thank God for the flag. I don't have any trouble standing at the national anthem. Hallelujah. You may be seated. By the way, some of these spoiled brats that are making 12 and 15 million dollars a year that don't want to stand at the anthem, they, they might ought to try going to another country and see how that fits there. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. I thank God for this nation. I thank God for America. I think, you may be seated, I think it's a very commendable thing that we would love our nation. Thank God for America. And you know, before there was an America, God had a nation in the Old Testament, and that was the nation of Israel. They were God's nation. They were God's people. God works through people that are willing and make themselves available. In Exodus 19 and verse 6, God said to Moses, that you shall be to me a holy nation. God picked out a nation. God chose a nation to be his people and to represent him throughout the Old Testament. Thank God for the nation of Israel. Israel was God's people. And I'm going to say that uh, Paul wrote to the church and he said, Hath God cast away his people which he foreknew, God forbid. Israel still has a part in the plan and the economy of God for this end time. Amen. And if this nation takes a stand against Israel, then this nation is going to suffer because Israel is still prominent in the heart and the plan of Almighty God. Everybody say praise the Lord. In the Old Testament, that was God's nation and God's people. Abraham... Uh, fit greatly into God's purpose and plan. And you could talk a lot about Israel in the Old Testament, but I want. But I, I know in, 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 in modern times, May the 15th, 1948, after centuries and centuries and centuries of not being a sovereign nation, Israel became a sovereign nation again. 1948. Amen. God hath not cast away his people. Sin brought judgment to Israel in the Old Testament and sin will bring judgment upon any people unless there's repentance and returning back to God. Amen. We need a mighty revival. It was preached last night. It's been preached this morning. We need a mighty revival. We need revival in America. And I believe that God has matched us with this generation and we have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Hallelujah. We are, we are equipped by Almighty God to, to take care of the business of God through the auspices of the church in this hour. Thank God for the church. Amen. The Bible said in Proverbs 14, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It doesn't matter whether it's America, China, Russia, or Iraq. Sin is a reproach to any people. Psalms 917 said, The wicked shall be turned into hell, 
and all the nations that forget God. Amen. As a whole, America is getting further and further away from God. But I'm not here to preach gloom and doom today. I'm here to preach that God is raising up an end-time apostolic church that's more than a match for Satan's ploy in our generation. Hallelujah. Maybe seated. Israel rejected their Messiah. They rejected the Christ. They rejected the anointed one. The Bible tells us in John 1 that he came to his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become. Amen. We're not the natural sons of God. We're not the natural branch. But we've been grafted in contrary to nature and made partaker of the root and the fatness of the branch. We ought to thank God for our privileged position today. I said we ought to thank God for our privileged position this morning. Hallelujah. And Israel rejected God, but the Bible said in that Jerusalem council of Acts chapter 15 that God had visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for His name. Amen. There's going to be a people that's called by His name, that's filled with His Spirit. There's going to be a Jesus name church in our generation. There is and there will be. I believe that others have stated our greatest revival is ahead of us. Our greatest revival is yet to come. Amen. Don't say that our best days were yesterday. Don't say our best days were gone and past. Don't say our greatest days have passed and we're just living it out. Let me tell you that God's got to work for this end time church. Anybody want to fit in that plan of God? Hallelujah. I said God's got a plan for the church. I want to fit in God's plan. He came to his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him. To them gave he power. Notice that to become. To become something you were not. To become a people you were not. Power to become the sons of God. Hallelujah. Even to them that believe on his name. Who were born not of flesh nor of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. Through the miracle of a second birth, through the miracle of a new birth, we're here today. Thank God for the born-again experience. Hallelujah. Jesus said, you may see, Jesus said in John 3, 5, you must be born again. Nicodemus didn't understand it and uh, asked, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, verily, verily, I truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We must not become weak or soft on that message. There's only one way to be born of the water and spirit. That's to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the new birth. 
Hallelujah. How many glad you've been born again? Maybe you see it. Some say you're born again when you come to an altar. That's not true. Some say you're born again when you bow your head and receive Christ as Savior. That's not what the book said. Some say you're born again when you join a church. That's not what the book said. Somebody said you're born again and they've got other things to do. But Jesus made it plain how to be born again of water and of the Spirit. And Peter preached that at the day of Pentecost when he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. That's water. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that Spirit. Thank God for the new birth of water and Spirit that's still the message of this hour. Amen. I don't care if you're a home missionary or you've been pastoring 50 years. You've got to preach the message. We've got to preach the new birth. Don't just assume they know it and understand it. Preach baptism in Jesus' name. Preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost with a sign of speaking with tongues. Preach the mighty God in Jesus Christ. Preach the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. How many love that name? Praise the Lord with me right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe see. So we have a nation that, um, that has been blessed of God. There's no question that America has been blessed of Almighty God. We have, and, and I think there's some reasons why America has been greatly blessed. Amen. One of the reasons is that America has given untold millions of dollars, absolutely untold millions over the years in the Jesus name church, apostolic church, to help build churches around the world. God likes that. I said God likes that. God likes a missions minded church. God loves a church that can see beyond their own doorstep. God loves a church that can understand that he wants to save people around the world, on every continent, in every nation, in the islands of the sea. God wants to send revival. God's not just interested in America. He's interested in the whole world. But God's blessed America because we've opened our our checkbooks and we've given to missions, hallelujah, and I'm behind world missions, I'm behind Brother Johnny King, I'm behind what missions is doing, I believe we've got to reach our world, and it must be done now. Oh, somebody praise the Lord with me. I said we've got to reach our world, and we've got to do it now. America over the years has become the springboard for world evangelization. Missionaries from America, dollars from America have reached around the world. Amen. Through the prayers of the American church and through the giving of the American church because they've been enabled financially to do so, God will bless any preacher that will bless other people. God will bless any church that has a vision for others. 
Hallelujah. The moment we sit and keep everything to ourselves and not give is the moment God's going to cut off his blessings from us. We don't give to build churches in South Dakota and Tampa and wherever else. If we don't give to do that, I'm telling you, we're going to lose the favor of God. We're going to lose the blessing of God. We don't give to build churches in India and the Philippines and Hong Kong and around the world. We're going to lose the touch of God upon us. We've got to keep our missionary spirit and our missionary vision. If you believe that, clap your hands with me and praise you. Hallelujah. 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 Thank God for missions. And uh, whether it's called foreign missions or not is depending on where you live. If the church in the Philippines, and I was there one time when they took up an offering to send to America to start churches. So to them, we were foreign missions. To us, they were foreign missions. Whether you're foreign or not depends on where you're at. It depends on where you live. But thank God for the message that's reaching around the world. We ought to continue to give so that others may hear and know this truth. Let's support missions. Let's support the work of God. Hallelujah. When we went to Durham and at our first service on April the 6th, 1973... Our very first service was my wife and my two kids and myself. Before we had our first service, we already had a missionary. Brother Tiller, we already took a missionary. And uh, there was a missionary to the Philippines that we already had the plaque. We already had it ready to put up. Before we ever had a service, we had a missionary. And I thank God for missions. I thank God for world evangelization. Amen. The Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship will continue to be blessed if we keep that passion and that burden and that vision and that love for souls. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I thank God for World Missions and, and our church gives to it. And, and uh, I don't know, I was checking the other day, I think this... In the past 12 months, our church has given over $150,000 to world missions, uh, to foreign missions alone, if I remember correctly. I believe in world missions. Don't ever, don't ever doubt that. I believe in world missions. But I'm going to stand here on this home mission day, Wednesday, and confess to you that my real passion and heartbeat has been home missions. And don't judge me too strongly. This is home missions day. And I'm not saying that just because I'm preaching. I'd say that if I wasn't preaching. My real passion has been home missions. And I'm going to keep praying for and giving constantly to, to, to the work, work of God around the world. To world missions. That's not even a question. But my heartbeat is home missions. My heartbeat right now, has been for a number of years, is starting brand new churches in America. Hallelujah. And you know what? The greatest way, the greatest way to have more people to give to, to regions beyond America is to raise up more churches, America, because every church we raise up will become a missions giving, missions minded church. So if we'll build more churches, if we'll build more churches, every one of those churches we build, it's going to support missions. 
Every church we get that we build is going to give to missions. Hallelujah. So world evangelization begins at home and it begins right where you are. Somebody say praise the Lord. Amen. Years ago, in fact, on May the 7th, 1962, I went to Malden, Missouri, and uh, wasn't married at that time. I got married 11 months later, and I wouldn't recommend that you try to start a church while you're single. I don't offer that as a recommendation, but I did it and survived it. And so we started having church in little old dilapidated storefront, 209 East Francis Street, Malden, Missouri. May the 7th, 1962. And we had a first service. I was there by myself. I, 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 this is home mission day. I want to just open my heart. I've been to services many times, Brother Erskine, when not one person showed up. Not one. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have children. I didn't have any members. Didn't have any money. Amen. Our first treasure there, we had $3.57 in the treasure. We opened a bank account. Now then, I think they'd consider you too poor to open a bank account with $3.57. No, you couldn't do it. That was our first bank account. Praise God. We got $3.57 in the treasure. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. And uh, we had service. I went there Sunday. Nobody showed up. Went back Sunday night. Nobody showed up. Went back Thursday night. Nobody showed up. I went many times. Not one soul showed up. I, I finally, one lady started coming and her afflicted daughter. That was my total congregation. That was my total congregation for quite a while. Was one elderly lady and her afflicted daughter. Hallelujah. You know what? What do you do? You just preach. That's what you do. If you got one person, preach to them. You don't have to wait for a hundred. Don't wait for fifty. Start preaching to them. You got one person, preach. You got two people, preach. Quit complaining. Quit complaining and get a message and preach to them. Hallelujah. After a while, we had the third person started coming. After four or five months, we had a fourth person start coming. That's the way you build churches. You don't build them overnight. You don't build churches overnight. Somebody said, I told me about a year ago, I'm going to go in this city and start a church. And after one year, I'll be running 200. And I thought to myself, God bless you, brother. I love you. But it didn't happen, and it usually don't happen. What do you do when nobody shows up? Amen. I've been there. Nobody showed up. Just pray a while. Walk around a while. Pray for your city a while. Go home and try it again the next service. Praise God. Hallelujah. I still don't mind preaching to two or three or four or five. I've been to churches in the past year where there was less than ten there. And I preached to them. It didn't bother me a bit. I like that. I don't need a big congregation to preach to. I don't need a bigger crowd to preach to. Praise God. Every soul is valuable. Every soul is precious. Every soul is important. Preach to them. Amen. So we started the church in Missouri. Finally, I thought to myself, I've been evangelizing four years full time, and I thought, you know what? If we could ever have 25, 
To me, that was utopia. That would have absolutely been heaven on earth. If I could have ever got 25 people there. And I, we had about five people coming. And I put a sign up on that old dilapidated storefront. I put a sign up there that said 25. And those little handful of people straggled in. And they looked up there and said, what does that mean? And I said, that means we're going to have 25. And I mean, they didn't believe it. And they got me to wondering, amen, but with their unbelief. But anyhow, I put 25 up there. We started knocking doors, talking to people, witnessing. And, and, and after a while, we had 25. When that 25 got there after months, I, they came in one night and I had 50 up on the wall. Praise God. And some of them said, what does that 50 mean? I said, that's our next goal. Praise God. They had unbelief. But after a few months, we reached 50. When we got 50, I put up there 100. They said, what does that mean? I said, that means we're going to have 100. Praise God. And God helped us to have 100. Then I put up 200. Amen. Let me tell you, you got to keep working. You got to keep having vision. You got to believe in what you're doing. You got to believe in your call. You got to know that God sent you. You got to know that God sent you. And if God sent you, He didn't send you to fail. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't ever have to build a big church to be a success with God. Every man according to his own ability. I thank God for men that pastor 10, 15, 5, 20. 30 or 40. Some people say, oh, that's not much of a church. Let me tell you, before you judge every situation, you ought to thank God for those churches. Thank God for those pastors that are willing to labor. They're willing to fast and pray. They're willing to try to try to see a church built in that city. Let me tell you, friend, God wants a church to be built. Amen. So I had a burden from all the Missouri. And you know, I left there after almost 11 years. And, and then now then... A great, great man of God, Brother Young, is there. And he carried on the work, did things that I couldn't do. Built a beautiful new building out on the highway. And it's a sanctuary uh, that anybody would be happy to go into. Thank God for Brother Young. But while we were in Malden, Missouri, we started, we didn't know about daughter works. They didn't call them daughters. We didn't know. We just went over, bought a building in Campbell, Missouri, 10 miles away. Started a church, put a pastor there. Praise God. I believe in home missions. I believe in home missions. We came to Durham. We started a church. After a while, we have started some other churches. Amen. Every church ought to be working to reach out, reach out, reach out, reach others. Hey, that's what it's all about, folks. Hallelujah. That's what it's all about. If you're waiting for me to preach a great sermon, it's not going to happen here today. But I hope that I can talk to somebody and say we've been called to do a work for God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We, we opened up several years ago, maybe 15, I don't know, so 16 years ago, a work in Roxborough, North Carolina, 30 miles north of Durham. And I couldn't pastor that. And finally, my youth pastor, Brother Matthew Wilmoth, who's here today, uh, took that church and felt a burden for it. And now then, they're having 75 80 and 90 in church. Hallelujah. I thank God we could have a little part in that. Glory to God. We helped start the church in Smithfield, North Carolina. And the pastor is here today. Amen. I thank God we had just a small part in that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Brother Taylor, for continuing on that work. Let me tell you, thank God for every apostolic church. Glory. My son-in-law, Brother Betts, is here today. He went to Reedsville, North Carolina, started a church. I didn't start that church. He did. But we tried to help. Thank God for apostolic churches. I don't care how small they are. Thank God for apostolic churches. They, they got a great building and started a church and did a good work for God for seven or eight years there. Hallelujah. I'd like to think I have a little interest in Brother Pete May's church down in Augusta, Georgia. He's right here today because he was, he was a great member of our church for a few years, went to Augusta, and God sent him revival there. Amen. God didn't call me to Augusta, but I'm glad I had a little part in it. Amen. 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 I, I didn't start Burlington, North Carolina. My brother did that. Amen. Thank you, Brother Kenny. Go there for obeying the call of God. 30 miles west of Durham is Burlington. He went there when there wasn't a church and started a church. So I'd like to say I, I, I started that church, but I can't say that and tell the truth. Brother Kenny Godard started that church, and he's labored there over 30 years and got a great church today. But we had just a little small part in it. Amen. I'm telling you, if you don't start a church, you can help somebody that does. I'm just here for home mission today. If you don't start a church, give an offering. Help somebody that does start a church. Hallelujah. Man, I feel like shouting. I said if you're called to start a church, start it. But if you're not called, then help somebody that does. Let's evangelize America. Let's evangelize America. Somebody praise God with Hallelujah. I baptized some young men, and most of them baptized them got the Holy Ghost in our church. There's a man pastoring now, Tulsa, Oklahoma, got baptized and got the Holy Ghost in our church. There's a man pastoring in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, got baptized in our church, got the Holy Ghost. There's a man pastoring in Kernersville, North Carolina, that got the Holy Ghost in our church. May have gotten baptized, but got the Holy Ghost in our church. What are you saying? I'm saying we got to have a vision for folks that need God. We got to have a vision for souls. Hallelujah. Don't wait for the perfect situation. It's not going to come. Don't wait for plenty of money. It's not going to come. Don't wait for a nice crowd. It's not going to happen overnight. But build a church. Amen. I remember the first church we started in Malden, Missouri. No heat. I mean none. You could, they wouldn't let you have church in a building like that now. No air conditioning. I preached one Sunday morning. There was no way you could raise the windows. The windows that storefront were built in. You couldn't get any air. I preached one Sunday morning, and a man brought me a thermometer after church. He said, you know how, what temperature was while you was preaching? I said, no. He said, 120. Young lady came up to me after church. My face was red as a beat. She said, if you keep preaching like that, you're going to die in the next year or two. Praise God. That was 1962, and I'm still kicking. <laughs> Praise God. I don't know where she is, but I'm still preaching. <laughs> Glory. Praise God. No heat, no air. No running water. You had any running water there, you had to run somewhere and get it. Bring it back. Praise God. 
That wasn't, that's the building I got married in. Uh, could have got married somewhere else. Yeah, could have. But we chose to get married in that church. That's where it was going to work. No running water, no money, no baptistry, no music, no restroom in the church. Boy, think about having a church like that today. Closest, the closest restroom was in the Shell Station, eight blocks away. And they closed at eight o'clock. After eight o'clock, I preached to a captive audience in those days. I'm talking about home missions. Hallelujah. They had, eight, they had to go eight blocks to get to the bathroom. But I want to tell you something. When we got there, we knew which one to use, bless God. I know what the men's bathroom is. I know what the ladies' bathroom is. And I don't get up some days feeling like a woman wanting to go in the ladies' restroom. Every day I get up, I feel like a man. Can you believe in America we're discussing which bathroom you ought to go to and whether boys and girls ought to shower together? That's a bunch of wickedness and sin. My God, let's raise up a church in the midst of this perversion. Woo! Come on, praise God with me. I, you may be seated. I saw, I, saw, I saw a sign one night, a uh, day on a marquee from the church. It said this. You aren't too bad to come in. And you aren't too good to stay out. Boy, that's the, that pretty well wraps it up. You're not too bad to come in. You're not too good to stay out. Our church ought to have an open door policy. I said every church that's represented here today ought to have an open door policy. Hallelujah. I don't care if you got money or if you're broke. I don't care if you're white or black or brown. It doesn't make me any difference. Hallelujah. A soul is a soul. Glory to God. I don't care if I baptize a person, what color, what language they speak. That's unimportant. That soul needs God. I said that soul needs God. I remember. Maybe see, I remember in Malden, Missouri. Brother Young's here. And just, I'm just reminiscing for a moment, but I remember a couple, we was in that storefront, and you know, I don't know how you did, but I'd walk that floor, that little small building, and pray, then I'd, I'd walk over the window, the earth can peek out the window to see if anybody was coming. I interrupted my prayer to look out the window, then I'd go back praying, then I'd go back over there and look out and see if anybody's coming. One day, man, I'm telling you, a man and his wife and five children came in. You imagine what that does for a home missionary pastor. Boy, you imagine pre preaching in Brookings, South Dakota. You imagine preaching in Tampa, Florida. Brother Fole, you got more than that now, but, uh, you know, imagine man, his wife and five children. By the way, I had a hand in, in Tampa. I'm going to claim that. I'm going to claim that. Brother and Sister Fole are sitting here. I baptized them both in the early 90s, got the Holy Ghost. They both graduates of Duke. They both are much more brilliant than I am. But I preach them the gospel. And today they're building a church in Tampa, Florida for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, so this family drove up. 
I met him at the door. How you doing, sir? How are you, ma'am? Five kids. I said, uh, just by way of introduction, uh, just curious, did, did somebody give you a church card? They said, no. And I said, did somebody invite you to church? Well, I had two or three coming at that time. And I said, somebody. I couldn't name them. <laughs> did, did so-and-so. Well, I had two or three coming. They said, no. And I said, how did you manage to come? <clears throat> and the man looked at me and said, <clears throat> Pastor, he said, right around the corner is the Kimball Street Mission. And you could see it from our storefront. He said, we went down this morning to the first church. I won't call a name. First church downtown. Big, beautiful brick building. A lot of people. Bankers, doctors, lawyers, and so on. He said, we decided to go to church. We went there. And he said, one of the elders came and pulled us aside and saw that we were not dressed too properly. And I, I'm not talking about the indecent. just very poor. And he said, they pulled us aside and said, look. We've got a Kimball Street mission over there on Kimball Street. And you folks would feel more comfortable in that church. Why don't you go over to our mission? So he said, we were broken hearted, wife and I. But he said, we started over there and said, we got within sight of it. You could see the mission around the corner. And he said, we came in front of your building. And for whatever reason, I don't know, but we just felt like coming in. I knew what the reason was. That was God. I said, that was God. Amen. In three weeks' time, the man and wife, an oldest child, was baptized in Jesus' name and had the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Somebody else don't want them, we'll take them. One man told me one time, we're going to build a church and, and we want only doctors, lawyers, and skilled and professional people. He said, we don't want poor folks. I said, send them to us. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It must never get beneath our dignity to reach people in the slums. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they are. We must never become such a dignified church that we don't have a passion. Jesus said, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Paul said, not many wise and noble are called. You know what? After about six weeks, a man came to me one night, one Sunday night, coming to church every service. And he said, everybody called me Brother Johnny. That's fine me. I didn't bother. My dad was Brother Godard in that part of the country, and I was Brother Johnny. He came to me and said, Brother Johnny, could I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He said, do you mind me writing a note to the, to the first church over there that turned us down? I said, no, I don't mind. What are you talking about? How are you going to do it? Oh, he said, I'm going to write him a thank you note. And I said, and would you mind telling me what's going to be in your note? He said, I've already got it written down. I want to thank you for not accepting us that day because we went down to the Pentecostal church and got baptized in Jesus' name and got the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We'll take the drug addicts. We'll take the alcoholics. We'll take the down and outer. And when God gets through with them, they'll be saints of God. I wish somebody would praise the name of the Lord with me. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. My, my, my. You may be seated. Amen. Thank God for the church.
Thank God for the church. Hallelujah. So the first characteristic that they liked about this man was that he loves his nation. That's good. That's positive. He loves his nation. He'll stand behind his country. And is America all good? Absolutely not. But I still love America. Is everything right? No. Is there a lot of sin? Yes. Are people mistreated? Every day. But I still love America. <clears throat> Amen. So I can identify with that man's first characteristic when he said, they said of him, he loves our nation. But Brother Tiller, I like that second one. He said, and P.S. Let me give you a little footnote. Not only does he love our nation, he built us a church. Man, he loves our nation. But I want to tell you one other thing about this guy that's pretty special. He built us a church. How many men in this room are pastoring churches that are not yet 10 years old? Stand please, if you will. Don't be ashamed. I'm telling you. Oh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 15, 20, probably 25 men. Let's give them all a hand. God bless you. You're the heroes of the church. You're out there where the rubber meets the road. You're the heroes of the church. Let's give a hand to these men of God that are starting churches. Let me ask, maybe see, let me ask how many, your church, you're there, either you started or someone, but you're there, and your church is less than five years old. Would you stand? Your church is less than five years old. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Man, less than five years old. Hey, folks, that's home missions. That's home missions. Woo! I think we ought to clap our hands for these people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe seated. Brethren, you're not going to build a church quickly. It takes some time. Be consistent. Be patient. Be godly. Be a worker. Don't be lazy. God don't bless lazy people. God wants men to build these churches that have got some ump and get up and go and got some desire in their soul. Hallelujah. 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 One man called me here a while back. And I said, what you doing? He said, I've been counseling all morning. I said, really? I said, kind of help people, huh? He said, yeah, I've been counseling. And he said, I stayed at the office till 2 o'clock last night counseling people. I said, man. Woo. Praise God. That's and, and if you're trained to be a counselor, that's good. Be a counselor. That's good. I don't have a problem with that. Some people need counseling. Glory. But I, I got thinking, you know what? I counsel when I have to. I don't ever ask for counseling sessions. I try to dodge them if I can. Buxton, are you a counselor? You're not. Oh, I like that. But I'm not putting down counseling. Folks have to be counseled. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm just talking this morning. I'm not. I'm not preaching. I'm just talking. But you know what? Uh, I tell our people in Durham before the service, talk to God. During the service, 
let God talk to you. After the service, talk to one another. I don't want nobody bringing me a problem before church. I'm fixing to sing and shout and praise God. I don't want problems before church. Don't bring me a problem before church. You know what, Brother Spell? In the past two weeks, I've had three people come by me for church and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, after church. And so help me, I'm standing here in the fear of God. All three of them in different services came back to me after church and said, I thought you was fixing to say, let's, let's talk. And all three of them said, I don't need to talk anymore. I said, really? No. He said, I got my answer during the service. You know what? If we pray and worship and seek God, we get most of our answers during the service. Don't put your pastor counseling day and night over picky any things that's not important. Lose him to get in that pulpit and preach and preach and preach and love God. But you may be seated. A friend of mine sent me a little note. It's not original with me, but he sent me a note. And, it, and I was interested when he sent it through the mail. I've still got it. It's got his name on it. And he wrote on there, uh, it, the paper's written, 12 ways to reduce your counseling load. He's a friend. He's an apostolic preacher. And I thought, man, that's getting interesting. Let me read it. 12 ways to reduce your counseling load. Number one, don't put a door on your office. What was it, the man in England, he said, you folks in America are crazy. He said, you have offices. In England, we have a study. Just to think about it. He said, we have a study. You Americans have offices. There is a difference. Amen. So he said, ways to reduce your counseling load. Number two, step out in the hall when you greet them. And start singing songs like put on a happy face and don't worry, be happy. And he said, number three, if you want to reduce your counseling load, step out of the office and start laughing uproariously. Number four, tell the counselee that you can't figure out the solution to the problem, but I'll try to bring it into my sermon next Sunday, see if anybody in the church can figure it out. Praise God. Aren't you glad you're not a pastor, Brother Tim Spell? <laughs> My Lord have mercy. The next one was, catch up on your reading while the counselees are bearing their deepest problems. If you want to reduce your counseling, number one, put a bumper sticker on your car that says, I'd rather not be counseling. Amen. If another thing is, when you counsel with people, refer them to a helpful article in your favorite professional magazine, the National Enquirer. And if that don't work, ways to reduce your counseling is in front of the counselee. Phone your wife and ask her what she thinks about it. And if that don't work, Recite tales of people to them that are much worse than they are and call them a crybaby. You do that one, Brother Erskine. 
Praise God. Hallelujah. And if none of them works, the last one is, if you want to reduce your counseling load, engage your mother-in-law, their mother-in-law, as a co-therapist. That'll help every time. Amen. But you know what? We need men of God to get in the pulpit and preach. We need preachers that will put the gold back in the gospel. We need to teach. We need to preach. We need to teach. We need to preach. We need to teach Bible studies. We need to teach home Bible studies. There's a couple sitting right here to my left today. Brother Ezzy and Sister Linda. About a year ago, I taught them a home Bible study. You say you're too old to teach Bible studies. Well, don't tell me. and Maybe I won't know it. I taught this couple a home Bible study. First time he ever came was Easter a year ago. Had raised up in another church. Amen. But I, I baptized them. I got the Holy Ghost. And they're here at Summit sitting here today. Thank God for them. Teach some Bible studies. Come on. Get that chart out. Teach some Bible studies. Teach some Bible studies. If you can't go 12 weeks, go 6. If you can't go 6, go 2. If they don't want to, give them a quick Bible study right on the spot. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brother Jeff Foe was at our church the other night. He's out of our church here, his wife and family. Thank God for him, the good work they're doing in Tampa. He told our church the other night, can I get it straight, Brother Foe? Of the doors you knock on, eight out of ten are receptive. Is that right? You say, well, they're not in my town. Let me ask you a question. How do you know they're not? Well, the, some people sit around and say, oh, it's a horrible day and folks are getting bad and it's getting worse. And, and, and Brother Foley is saying, it's better, it's good, and it's getting better. Hallelujah. He said, almost everybody I talk to wants a Bible study. How many of you have baptized in the last few months, Brother Foley? 80, baptized in Jesus' name. You know why? He's out there. He's out there. He's out there. He's doing it. He's doing it. He's teaching. He's talking. He's talking. Somebody clap your hands with me and praise God this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to close briefly. Maybe seated. Teach a Bible study. Visit the home. Not doors. Pass out tracts. Hand out church cards. In the last 15 years, we've handed out over one and a half million church cards. That's not an exaggeration. That's the number that I got from my secretary. We passed out over one and a half million church cards. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Folks are coming all the time. I say, who invites you? Well, I got one of your church cards. Somebody came this past Sunday morning, said, I don't know their name, but some lady over here handed me a church card yesterday. And I thought I'd come and check your church out. And I like it, and I'm coming back. Praise God. Praise God. Hand out church cards. Hand out, hand out tracts. Hand out church cards. Teach Bible studies. Talk to people. Talk to people. Hey, the church is in the people business. The church is in the people business. Go to a hospital. Go to a rest home. Visit a jail or prison. In the past five months, we've had, I think it's 13 or 14 
baptized in Jesus' name out of three local rest homes in our city. And all of them had the presence of mind. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were taught a Bible study and they understood it in Jesus' name and they came to our church. We, we had to fix up and buy a special lift for them. Brother Brad's over here. He helped me. Amen. We fixed up a special lift because some of them are, 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 uh, uh, have a few pounds. I don't want to use that bad word. But some of them are a little bit <clears throat> heavier than others. We had to fix up a lift. But you know what? It's worth it. It cost a few hundred dollars. Now then we just get them right up to baptize baptize them in Jesus' name. Go to the rest home. Go to the jail. Go to the prison. Get you a bus. Get you a van. Do something for God's sake. Do something. Hey, it's home missions day at the summit. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, I want to tell you about a man. He loves his country, but he built us a church. He built us a church. He built us a church. Amen. Once you build a church, oh, Brother Gilbert, your pastor, James Gilbert's deceased now. He used to say, You can't hardly kill a church. Remember that? It says, Hard to kill a church. He told a story, true story, out in Oklahoma, in the state of Oklahoma. They had a Pentecostal church. They lost a pastor and threw some things that had happened. They were down to a couple of members. They couldn't pay the bills. So, make a long story short, they're going to sell the church property on the courthouse square at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning. And one businessman in the town wanted that. It was a valuable piece of property. The building wasn't a lot, but it was a valuable piece of property. That was years ago. He had already, he had already decided, I'm going to give $10,000 for that property. And that was years ago. That was quite a bit of money then. And so, big crowd gathered around, Brother Gilbert said. And the auctioneer got up there and said, now we're going to sell this church property. And he said, what, what, have I got a bid? Man, so I'll give 10000 In the meantime, a stranger in a black suit had stepped up that nobody had ever seen. True story. Nobody had ever seen him. He stepped up there and just stood there on the edge and listened. And when he said, the businessman will give 10000 do I have another bid? He said, I'll give 11. The businessman said, I'll give 12. He said, I'll give 13. The businessman said, I'll give 14. The man in the black suit said, I'll give 15. This went on until they got to $30,000. The businessman said, it's out of my range. I'm not going to give no more than that. He said, I'll give 30,000, Mr. Auctioneer. The man in the black suit said, I'll give 31. The bidding stopped and he said, sold to the man in the black suit. Nobody had ever seen him. He said, come up here, sir. You have the money? He said, yeah. Came up there and paid him in $100 bills. Every dime of it. $31,000. And he got up there on the square and he said, now, you bought this building, sir. How do you want it deeded? He said, deeded to the First Pentecostal Church. And at the time I heard Brother Gilbert say that, he said that church revived and there's 70, 80 people going to that church in that small town. Hallelujah. Devil, you can't stop the church. 
Glory. Let's all stand in Jesus' name. You can't kill a church. Glory. Glory. You know what? Remain standing. I was in an altar at a conference. It was a good conference. It was home missions day. I was down front. Preachers had come down. And a man got through preaching. And uh, we all came down front. We were all stirred about doing something for God. He was weeping. I knew him, a great pastor. Had a few hundred people in his church. He turned to me weeping in the altar. He said, Brother Godare, God's called me to build a church. He told me where. He told me the town. I said, all right. And then I saw him about three months later. And he said, God talked to me again, told me not to go. I don't know everything. I don't know much. But in a matter of five years, the man had lost his wife. He lost his church. It went totally charismatic. And he was out of the ministry. I want to tell you something. It's better to obey God. Now, now I, I understand where I am. This is home mission day. Every preacher here is not called to build a home mission church. And some would be totally out of, out of, the, out of your tree if you did. And that's all right. Somebody's got a pastor all types and size churches. So please don't feel that I'm saying if you're not home missions, you're not anything. That's not true. Thank God for all of these men of God. Old churches. Somebody's got to pastor all of these. Thank God for men that's, that's doing a great job. But I want to tell you something. There are a few men here today that God's talking to you about either starting a new church or starting a, a new daughter work. And... Uh, I'm just here to tell you that you ought to obey God. Just go ahead and obey God. Hallelujah. Everyone's not called to start a church. If you're not called to start a church, how about helping someone who does? How about giving them a monthly offering, maybe through the home missions? Brother Erskine, I haven't even talked about money, have we? Money hasn't even been mentioned. Not even mentioned. How about sending some money to the office in Tulsa and designate it for a home mission church. That way they can keep record. How about, how about, if you're not called to start a church, how about, how about taking up a home mission offering? How about asking somebody, can I, I'd like to help you in your endeavor. I'd like to buy you a piano. I went to Durham, Brother Jesse Williams, bought my first piano. That was a big blessing. Gave us a brand new piano. That was a help. Big help. Buy them some tracks. There's pastors here that could go to a home missionary and say, I want to buy you some tracks. I want to buy you some seats. I want to buy you a few seats for your church. I, I, I want to buy you some songbooks or choruses or, or something to put up here overhead, ever how you choose to do it. I want to help. What can you say about it? What can you tell me about him? All I know is he loved his country and he built a church. <laughs> How about taking up a home missions offering? How about giving it to a friend or designating it to someone? Hallelujah. 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 I had a few other things to say, but I'll forego all of that because I've already gone long enough and I understand that. <laughs> 
But I want to read you a letter. Dear Pentecostal preacher, it's raining today in our city. The skies are dark and overcast and the sun is hidden. But more than the gloomy weather conditions, there's a greater darkness that prevails over my city. For the casual observer, we seem such a happy place. Our streets are filled with people. New and better buildings are being built. New shopping centers are built and filled with people. At night, the brightly colored lights give our streets beautiful color. Children play on our playgrounds at schools and parks. Homes in neatly arranged suburban areas house our many families. Our neighboring lakes draw many for a weekend of fun and recreation. Yes, to the casual observer, all seems well. But the writer continues, but the truth is, my city is in trouble. My city is plagued with crime. Drug addiction, alcoholism have ruined many of our citizens. Our young people are being deceived on rock, rap music, and all kind of music, and they're even turning to suicide. Five out of every ten homes in our town has got a divorce coming up. Abortion has been turned to as the only answer to unwanted pregnancy. Our inhabitants are being taught that homosexuality is an accepted lifestyle. So I'm writing to you. We've tried to solve our own problems. Drug and alcohol abuse centers have come to us, but still the problem exists and it's increasing. Marriage counselors and social agencies have not curbed the increase in divorce rate. Abortion clinics and other agencies have not only left a trail of destroyed youth who must live with the guilt and shame of their sin, there's the spread of disease and venereal diseases and AIDS. And the amount of money that's been given by the state and government has not brought us the desperately needed help. That's the reason I'm writing to you, preacher. I've heard from others that when your people come to town, things begin to change. You came to them when you came to your city preaching and teaching the gospel. Because you came, they report miracles of lives transformed, broken homes mended, people really being delivered from the guilt of sin through repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, the receiving of the gift of the Holy Ghost. We have no one here in my town to preach that message. Our city is filled with churches, but it seems they have no power and they have no burden for us. Preacher, would you help us? Would you help us? I don't want anybody to do anything you don't feel, but if you feel like God's calling you to start a church or start a daughter work or or just make a contribution, to a home missions church so that they can get by without struggling and dancing over their head. I want you to come and stand at this front. I'm calling for preachers right now. I'm calling for ministers. If you feel like you'd like to start a church, a daughter work, or at least you'd like to help in some tangible way. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'd like for it to be said of me, Brother Bass talked last night about when you get ready to die. When I leave here, I want him to be able to say, he loved his nation and he built us a church. I want you to, 
come and just remain standing or kneeling. I want to tell you, in a general conference, in 1981, in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, I believe it was, if I remember correctly, Brother James Kilgore was preaching a home missions day. And in his own unique way, he made a plea for missions. My wife and I sat in the balcony. There were at least, I was told, 12,000 people in that auditorium that day for a home mission service. I was told around 12,000. Brother Kilgore preached and he asked for a sacrificial offering. My wife and I had just got a few people coming. We had one automobile and I, I, I we had just gone out and, and bought a, a, a second car, an old Dodge car. It was my second vehicle for my wife to get around in, around town. I want to tell you something. Boy, you can do something for God if you want to. I preached a funeral this past week of a lady. Hear me. This week, my saints are here, our saints. I don't own any saints. Got some good people in our church. I preached a funeral last week of a lady that my wife was going along in East Durham in a part town that wasn't too pretty. And she saw Gene Williams and Teresa and Chris walking. My wife went over and said, y'all, where are you going? They said, we're going home. She said, could I take you? They got in the car. Make a long story short, I baptized all three of them. They got the Holy Ghost. This past week, I preached Gene Williams' funeral after 43 years. And the backsliding that had happened in the family and the backsliding daughter came back this week Sunday night and prayed back through to a wonderful experience this week this week this week for the family that, that I preached at mama's funeral daughter prayed through Sunday night son prayed through Sunday night they, God was touching their lives another lady named Nancy over here on the right Sunday night been away from God for a long time. Prayed through the Holy Ghost. Another lady in the balcony named Teresa. Been backslidden a long time. Prayed through the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you, there's a revival of backsliders if we can see it. Come on. you got backsliders in your town. You don't even know. Brother Glendo's here. He talked to the man that made our sign. Sign cost $25,000. Never has worked right. Had it nine, 11 months. Brother Glendo went and talked to him the other day and said, the pastor said, you got to fix it or replace it. And the man, we didn't know who he was dealing with. The man spoke up last week. He said, tell the pastor I'll get it. I used to ride a church bus to that church when I was a kid. The man that has the sign company now, in charge of all of us, Bill, he said, tell the pastor I'll fix it. Tell him he counted. I used to go to that church. I rode that bus. Thank God your buses are being restored. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to apologize for running buses. It's not for everybody. I understand. But if you can't get a bus, get a van. You know, get a car. Frank Ferris brought 14 to people to church. 14 people, Brother Fole, in a car. 14. In a car. Where were they at? Hanging out the window. I spent, speak the truth. Our saints are here. Come to me and want a van. I got him a van. 
Next Sunday on the 15th, Pastor Van, he had 28. He come to me Sunday night and said, I need a bus. I said, Frank, you're bothering me every Sunday night. I need a car. I need a van. I need a bus. But I like it. I said, I like it. Then one man, about five years later, had 400 on his bus route with a bunch of buses and a bunch of workers. Oh, what I'm telling you is, let's do something. Let's do something. Let's do something. And so, we, you know, we had, we had well over 400 this past Sunday on our buses. Now, when I say well over, it was one. We had 401. And that 401st one was well. So I'm going to say we had well over 400. To ride our buses this past Sunday. And I'm not going to apologize that. You say, I don't want them dirty kids. Okay. Tell them to move to my town. We'll, we'll take care of them. You don't want them? Go ahead. Because a bunch of those bus kids are now ushers and teaching Sunday school and preaching. Brother Rodney Betts came to church in Durham at the age of 11. Now he's a great evangelist. Don't tell me. Do something. In God's name, do something. Brother Kilgore said, I want a sacrifice offered. 1981 General Conference on Mason Day. I turned to my wife. I said, well, we don't have anything to give, do we? She said, baby, we got a car. I said, but you won't have no way. I said, you won't have no way to get around. She said, I don't care. Let's give her a car. I, I raised my hand. And I said, Brother Kilgore, I don't know what it brings. Shotguns and trailers. I said, give him a car. Went home and sold it. It was $4,300. That's what it cost. I didn't tell him about that. Sold it, sent it, sent it to home nation $4,300. We needed that car. We needed the money. You know what? Our church heard about it. And we, we had a lot of poor folks, and we still got something that ain't too rich. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. The next Sunday night, one man came up and said, Pastor, my step inside, I want to take it off. We heard about giving you a car. And he said, We want to replace that car. So for the $4,300 car, they raised me cash that night, $6,000. So I come out with a better car, and a home missionary came out with some money. I was going to have them say, these folks are fabulous singers and musicians. Don't even try. I just, I'm just going to see if they knew that song. Little is much if God is in it. But whatever they sing will be all right. It don't matter. Sister Joy Norris can sing anything, play anything. But anyhow, I want to know, are you willing to go? Are you willing to give? Are you willing to go home and give a home mission offering? Are you willing to go home and buy a few chairs for a home missionary? Are you willing to buy a sign for a missionary? Are you willing to go buy them 5,000 tracks? Are you willing to get them 10,000 church cards printed up? I'm challenging you, preachers. My ministry is pretty well over, and I understand that. I'm putting a challenge out to you. What do you do? all to pray. I want everybody in this house to pray.
if the saints are willing, if your pastor wants to give a home mission offering, if you're willing to give something in it, raise your hands and pray.